I mean, I've been doing a ton of steep climbing at really high altitude here. It seems like every single ride I do, I'm just riding up some pass at a 25% grade. And uh, it's, you know, I'm at 12,000 feet and I can barely breathe. So <laughs> sounds about right. Uh, so what else has been going on? I don't know. I just wanted to talk about my drop bar mountain bike because I'm so <laughs> stoked about it. <laughs> What up, party people? The show's coming out a day or two later than usual this week because the crew is in a million places right now and it was hard to nail down a recording time. But hey, fear not. We sacrificed the first part of our Friday evening just to make sure y'all get what you deserve. We talked Leadville bike setups, my favorite race of the year at Depot Gnarly, and hit a grip of listener questions. So if you have any questions or feedback for the show, hit us up on Instagram or drop us a note at bonkrospodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you're interested in supporting the show, head over to patreon.com slash patreon underscore bonkros. And if you want to get your hands on a sick Bonk Bros dad hat, hit up the link in the show notes to find our basic merch store. All right, let's get this party started. So two things. One, hopefully my internet holds up. It's been like going in and out all week because they're like doing work down the street or something. And then also mm-hmm. we had some shit break on our garage door. So hopefully it's not like super loud in the background. I know all of our listeners have given us a ton of crap for background noise lately, and I don't know I don't know where it's coming from because I I do edit everything, but it's like I don't know if like I think I mentioned it to you guys. I think what what was happening was there were like a couple weeks where your volume was like super low, so I was like changing yeah. the threshold of like background noise to like lower because we were missing some of what you were saying. Mm-hmm. So I like did that, but then your mic's been better, and then I think I need to like raise that decibel threshold again or something. I don't know. Yeah, I we mean, honestly, it's, it's all Drew's fault. It pretty much. So, I mean, the fact that I appreciate that you've been checking the volume because what I add to this podcast is nothing of value. So <laughs> that's very kind of you. Didn't have to turn up the volume. But yeah, Drew said that he would send me another mic and uh, instead he hasn't said he's just, you know, doing fondos in Iowa and yeah, dude, watermelon. He's like, yeah, he's like spending a week in Iowa. He's not even racing his bike. He's doing rag rye. Yeah, exactly. Which actually is pretty sick. <laughs> when when he sent that picture of him and him and his wife like eating like a face full of watermelon, I was kind of jelly. Yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> I've heard it's a cool event, um, but you know, I mean, honestly, Drew's got he's just letting us down in all fronts. So yeah. Any any Ragbri veterans out there in listener land, if you want to see the Bonk Bros at Ragbri twenty twenty four, you can hit us up and maybe get, give us a place to stay or something. It'd be kind of sick. I, I think it'd be cool to do it sometime. People always so ask too. me, like, like anyone who's, like, not a bike racer, but, like, is, I don't know, has heard of something related to cycling, they always ask, like, oh, have you done Ragbri? That's, like, the biggest bike race in the world. And it's, like, eh. I mean, it's it's a, it's a huge bike event, but it's not a race, right? It's, like, very yeah. different from a bike race. Yeah. Um, but I always say, like, it's something that I would like to do, like, once I'm done racing my bike. Which, I mean, knows, why maybe not next do year. <clears throat> why not do it while you're racing your bike? I feel like that would be even better. Just, like, Bonk Bros Team Chime Trial. Just <laughs> chopping people along the way. I mean, it could be kind of savage. Yeah, for sure. No, I've heard it's a. I mean, I've heard it's a cool event. It's like you know, uh, it's not a gravel ride or a gravel event, but it was kind of the the mullet protocol before it was a oh, thing. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it could be could be fun to go do for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I think there's people who like actually do it for you know some level of performance. Like they get up at seven a.m. and they're like the first ones to hit the road, and they want to like be the f- first people to that next 
rest area or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I, I think there's also like, like the majority of the contingent is like sleeping in until noon, getting on the bike, <laughs> moseying on out, you know, yeah. getting Maybe there at the you know, 7 PM. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, hair the dog. Uh-huh. But yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like a super sick event. I'd love to go do it. it it's it's uh, every once in a while it starts super close to my house because I'm only like less than an hour from the Iowa border. So like every once in a while, if it starts in like the northwest part of, of Iowa, then it's pretty close. So like it wouldn't be that hard. And like a lot of the locals here go do it or like I know all the bike shops send send mechanics out there and stuff like that to help with neutral support. So yeah. like it, it, it wouldn't be that hard for me to do. Probably, I guess not that far for you. I mean, it's probably only maybe six, seven hours. Yeah, it's, it's, it's super close. My uncle lives in uh, Des Moines and he's been talking to me about it a couple of Mm. times. Just like, oh yeah, come up and do it. He did it one time, had an awesome time. Uh, Yeah. It's not far. Yeah. Straight up, just basically through all of Missouri and you're there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So we'll see. Maybe, maybe we'll get the bonkros out there at some point. Kind of cool. We should, we're going to be on world tour next year. We're going to do some, some gravel races in Girona, allegedly, Uh, you know, Whatever other bonk bros uh, that people want to get us into, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, Girona. Uh, we gotta go, you know, hang out with Scott. Yeah, um, yeah. Shelter him from crosswinds on the way to his spear fishing. Maybe you know, I mean, maybe maybe we pull a twenty four hours in the old Pueblo team together. I, I've been <laughs> trying to get the the boys to to latch onto that for like the last two years and haven't gotten any bites, but maybe we can make that happen. I could be, I could be convinced. I could be convinced. I think we could do pretty good. I feel like we could have a pretty solid team. I mean, me, you, Dylan, Scott, Drew, like that's it's pretty yeah. five, you know, pretty strong five dudes right there. Yeah, for sure. Although I for think sure. I think to win it, so I think to win it, you really need a super strong female on your team. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because with having the female on your team, um, why why was I thinking this? Let me think. Yeah. So. Cause, cause, cause you want to have the, the most number of laps in 24 hours. And I think what you could do is you could have like the female just run super consistent laps and you just ring the boys dry. Like they're all just hammering. Um, yeah. And there's something, I can't remember what it is, but there's something with, I want to say, or maybe, maybe that's, I don't know. For some reason, I, I don't remember is it it's like six months ago and I was researching this shit, but there was some reason where I thought like having a female on your team. Oh, I think it's because if you have a female, you can have five riders. And I think if you have mm. guy, all guys team, you can only have four riders. I think it was something gotcha. like that. Yeah. There was an advantage for sure to having a fast woman on your team when I was calculating it out. We had our, we had our bike school Academy kids go out there and they actually won the like, I don't know, mixed division, which was pretty cool to see. Um, I think they had like two, two girls and then three, three boys on the team. So sweet. Yeah. They so crushed that, it, but... Are they bike Academy? So are they like high schoolers then? Yep. Yeah, we've got a team cool. through bike school with like two high schoolers or two boys, two girl high schoolers, and yeah, they they went out there and killed it. it. Seemed like seemed like a cool event to be a part of. But here's how here's how the Bonk Bros would really win it is every time we would just put uh, Dylan and Drew back to back, and we <laughs> would just tell them we would just make up a time that was like ten seconds faster than the other person's previous time. Every yeah. time they came in, so it'd be like, oh, what was what was Dylan's lap? And we'd say, oh, I was like, I don't know, how long's a lap? What? Uh, 59 Hour. minutes. Yeah yeah. 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 And then then Drew's going to go out there and just like smash it. Be like, oh, my God, he did in 58.50. Got to go faster than that. <laughs> and then you and I can just sit back and chill, you know, yeah. the whole time. We can just That's do casual laps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. 
Yeah, there'll be none the wiser. Uh, speak, speaking of the the other Bonk Bros, so it's just Tyler and I on right now, if you can't tell already. Uh, got rid of Dylan. So yeah, we got, we got Dizzles in Ragbri. We already talked about that. Uh, Scott's in, back in Drona, and he's like probably sleeping by now. It's like 4 o'clock Central, which means it's midnight his time, so he's out. Dylan's probably still out in some like eight-hour training ride. Who knows what he's doing? Uh, he's supposed to be here in like five minutes, but... We all know about the, you know what Dylan's into. So yeah, so Tyler and I figured we'd, we'd hop on early, kind of get a little bit of banter out of the way. We were hoping to like answer some listener questions because we keep saying we're going to do that, like knock out a bunch of listener questions, and it just hasn't really happened. Like we, right. we've answered some, but there's like a bunch still in the queue. Let's see. We got five minutes. Let's see if we can knock out five between you five. and I. Yeah, five and five. Five and five. Okay. Whoa. Dude, I haven't checked the email in like a few days. No way. There's like there's like 15 new questions. Oh no. It's oh, not dear. good. Okay. Well, we're going to we're going to go you know, we're just going to we're going to go in order of newest to oldest. I don't know why. We just okay. are cuz cuz I'm in the inbox right now and we're going to go from the top. Uh so this one comes from Marcio and uh he's talking about 2024 unbound going north. This is probably not a good question for us. Shoot. No. Hi, Bonk Bros. Thank you for the podcast. This is a question for Dylan. Dude. Yeah, we, we got to save this one. I, I, I'm not going to be able to talk about this at all. We, neither is it done on done. I have a question about tires. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll move on to the next one. Okay. Uh, this next one from Jim. Hi. I once attended a training camp by a well-known coaching company. Co- coaching company. One of the hosts of this podcast used to work for. <laughs> Okay, dropping the lead there. Uh, (laughs) They told me to pedal backwards on a long downhill to flush out my legs. Is this just more bro science or is there any benefit to this? Thanks. (laughs) Big fan of the podcast. (laughs) That was not me. At least I've never told anybody that in my entire life. (laughs) So Um, so here's here's what I would have to say. (laughs) This is funny. Um, pedaling backwards isn't really going to change. I mean, like it'll change the, the muscle recruitment a little bit in like the order of which the muscles are recruited, but you're, you're still going to be recruiting the same muscles. So to me, it kind of makes more sense to like pedal forwards at a soft cadence. Cause at least then you're getting like a little bit of forward momentum out of it. Yeah. I mean, like every once in a while, like you're gearing, you know, catches up and like you, you get like, you know, 50 Watts out of it. I always tell people like, don't coast the downhills at all. Like you should be, you should be riding at 150 or 200 Watts, like whatever's easy for you. Cause mm-hmm. like that's 150 more Watts than you'd be doing otherwise. And it's yeah. easy. Like you can, you can do 150 Watts all day, you know, or whatever your, you know, recovery pace is. Yeah. I think there's something to be said from like a physiological perspective of like pedaling at whatever, like 50, like 50% of your, your FTP, right? Like there's some threshold there where it's like, it's better than just not pedaling at all. And then, but the, I don't know, the whole pedaling backwards thing, like, I think you're just introducing slack into the, into like the system, like your chain, right? And like, at least, you know, from riding off-road, it's basically like, you always want to be pedaling forward, not backwards, because I mean, what happens if you hit a bump, you know, and you got yeah. that slack in your chain, and you're ripping down a downhill, that's a recipe for disaster. So yeah, don't more of the story. Don't listen to what Drew says anymore. Uh, cause I'm sure he's the one that came up with that. That was a joke. I hope I not. Know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, <laughs> that was a joke. Just yeah, I, I do. I, yeah, I know. I do feel <laughs> like 
usually if I'm dropping, if, if I ever drop a chain with one by, it's because I like pedaled backwards over like a bump, like you're saying. Yeah. Like I never drop a chain if I'm pedaling forward and there's tension on the chain. It's always right. like when there's, yeah, when the chain is slack. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, Are this we one is already? just. Oh, shit. DJ's here. What up, dude? Gotta be on our best behavior now. How long have you guys been recording? <laughs> like five minutes. Hmm. All right. Do you have a microphone? Uh, yes, but it's is not it like in, in the other room? <laughs> no, it's not plugged in. We can tell. What the yeah, heck, man? You we, started we, recording we, without me. Well, I'm Tyler even on were, time. Tyler and I were ready. We so we were like, let's just try to knock out a, a question or two. I got a tea time, man. I gotta make that. Okay. Here, do I need a? Uh, how do I? How do I turn on my microphone here? Uh, hover over the microphone button, mm-hmm. and then select your microphone. Oh. <laughs> he just said, or, or just sign off. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine too. All right, next question. Let's go. Yeah, so the next question is just someone commenting about how there's background noise again. We apologize. We're working on it. Um, Amateurs here. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, like. Like some sometimes, like there there are there are very there are a few podcasts that are super polished. Like you never hear any background noise. The audio quality is always top notch. But there's also a ton of big big like high profile podcasts that like it's just like that's just sometimes the nature of like recording audio is like if yeah. someone's talking, and there's something else going in the background. Like it actually is quite difficult to extract all of the background noise. You can do it only if if the background noise is coming from an audio track that's someone's not currently talking on but as soon as someone starts talking like you want to hear their voice and it's really hard to extract the background noise from behind them so yeah. i don't know i apologize yeah. i i am always right, trying to improve my oh great is my back. microphone situation better <laughs> yeah your mic's better can you can you get that chick in the background to stop talking though <laughs> <laughs> dude people were mad about my girlfriend blabbing during the last episode huh yeah, that was the the last question we just read was yeah another complaint. It, I mean, I've had I've had a lot of people like probably double digit people reach out to me telling me how bad the audio was. I'm like, yeah, is the content good? Like, can you at least like make it through it? Like, yeah, it's not like that every week, you know. I mean, yeah. I mean, if we get some more Patreon supporters, then we could all have uh, JRE esque uh, or Rich Roll esque podcast recording studios. Dude, even respective homes, you know. Yeah, man. I mean, even Rogan sometimes, like when when he's got the whole contingent, there's like six or seven of them in that room. Like, you know, it's it's good, but it's not like it's not top notch like it normally is. I feel like I feel like podcasts are almost better if they're not so cleanly polished. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. I also told her about it, and she she was like pissed that I was even recording a podcast in the middle of this small space that we're. Uh, this Airbnb that we're in for, but I was like, I don't know. I don't know what else you expect me to do. Like anywhere else I go is noisier than this. Like if I went to a <laughs> coffee shop or something, it'd be worse. Yeah. I mean, I've done a few from my car <laughs> and like, I don't know. It's okay. But you have to use a hotspot for that. So like, it's like, unless you have unlimited hotspot data, then it's kind of annoying. Yeah. We'll just start recording these like mid bike ride you know, respectively. And then we'll yeah. just see. So you can hear the, you can hear the worst, the wind noise. Yeah. From AirPods. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, Adam, I feel like this is, this is relevant to you. I've been testing the, um, the drop bar hardtail on the Leadville course. It's probably relevant to some of the listeners. Cause I feel like we get Leadville related questions sometimes. Yeah. Um, especially tires. I, yeah, tires for sure. <laughs> 
Okay, I think I said this on the last podcast or what, whatever podcast we were talking about this. If if the first year that Leadville was ever put on was in 2023, they would call it a gravel race and everyone would bring their gravel bikes and it would what? suck. <laughs> yeah, but 100% that would it would it would qualify as a gravel race. So I agree. There are two there are two sections of the Leadville course where I was concerned about drop bars and that is the entire power line descent and then the top of the columbine descent i feel like other than those two sections drop bars are either neutral or faster um but i was like man if i'm losing way too much time on those two sections then i may just have to stick with the normal bars i've i've done two rides on the leadville course so far um and my descending times are not significantly slower with the drop bars um, in fact, I actually went faster yesterday on the column on the full Columbine descent with drop bars than I did in the race last year with normal mountain bike handlebars. Wow! Did you aero tuck though? Of course, I aero tuck, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so in in what tires were you running? So I was, yeah, (laughs) right. Because, because, uh, that's, that's the other thing I put on my story that I was trying out the Aspen max speeds and I got a bunch of responses to that. A bunch of people wanting to know, like, you know, what I think of those tires. Well, I'll tell you what I think of them right now. I did, I did a roll down test with those tires and it didn't seem, I did a roll down test where I tested the max speeds versus the race Kings didn't really seem like there was a, that big a difference between the two tires. So I was like, okay, well, I'll definitely run the max speeds then if there's not a difference because the max, I feel like the Aspens just handle better. Uh, I rode the course yesterday and I, after seeing some of my times, you know, along with the power output that I did, I, I'm less convinced that the max speeds are as fast as the race Kings. I actually, like my time up Columbine for the power output that I was doing, some something, something either I've gained... 15 pounds or something wasn't right (laughs) and i think it might have might have been the tires yeah i i haven't ridden the max speeds yet i just picked up a pair actually because i mean they're supposed to be faster and i use the aspens on every other type of mountain bike racing so i Mm figure like why not um but i will say like i did do a ride i think it was earlier this week where i just slapped on my other wheels that had normal aspen two fours and yeah, yeah they're definitely like I mean, I, again, okay, it's it's normal Aspens, not the max speed ones. But as far as like, I mean, you, they still feel pretty much the same. Yeah. Um, I two things. One, I didn't feel like they actually handled with the drop bars that much better. Mm-hmm. And two, I I mean, I thought there was a big difference. Like rolling on pavement or just flat gravel, I felt like there was quite a bit more resistance than than with the race case. Now I know that's the not the max speeds, mm-hmm. but you know, for what it's worth, like the, the tread and, you know, the extra, uh, casing with, like, I didn't like it as much. Although like on the mountain bike though, I, I freaking love those tires. Like they are by far my favorite XC tires. Yeah. Um, I mean, I agree with that. I think Leadville for the most part is not a cornering heavy race. So right. I think the race Kings will, I, as I'll do some more testing on the course, but I'm actually thinking I'm going to go back to race Kings for the race. Uh, they are also significantly lighter than the 2.4 Aspens. I mean, I think it drops like 300 grams from the bike weight, just switching the tires. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, man, I also, I also, I, I texted you this. I was looking at some of the Strava segments from last year mm-hmm. and John Gaston, who took second overall in the race 
Mm-hmm. He he set he had the second fastest time down Columbine on the day, and he was running wow. Race Kings. Yeah. So like blitzing pace, and like yeah, you know, fine. I think John Gaston has actually uh, sent me a DM on Instagram saying that he felt like the Race Kings were really sketchy. <laughs> really. <laughs> But he did get second down Columbine. Did he? So. Did did he? Did he say that he picked the Race Kings because he watched your videos? Uh, no, probably just because of that uh, that website, BicycleRollingResistance.com. I mean, I feel like if you see somebody on Race Kings, it's probably because they looked at that website. Um, yeah, I don't know. He he's a schemo, like professional schemo racer, and those dudes are super nerdy. So I I, I could mm-hmm. see him geeking out on some some bike stuff for sure. You think he's gonna yeah. be back this year? Yeah, he better be back, and he better be back with drop bars, man. That's all I'm saying. Leadville's a drop bar course, I'm convinced. Maybe I'll eat my words after I actually do the race and I get, like, dropped on a descent. Um, like, I'm like I'm about to get my best lifetime result ever, and then I get dropped on the last descent <laughs> or something. But Dude, I just – I don't see it happening, man. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm st- like, I'm stoked to do it on the drop bars just because I've been riding that bike so much, and it's free- mm-hmm. it's an awesome bike. Like, it's just – it's so yeah. fun to ride. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and like, I, I'm definitely taking that bike to Schwamigan again. I, there's not one part of the Schwamigan course where I think it's a disadvantage to have drop bars. It's either neutral or an advantage for, for the whole course. I think the only disadvantage comes from having the hardtail. Like, honestly, Mm. if, if I could have like a drop bar, uh, like light duty, full suspension bike, like, like this, you know, the specialized Epic world cup or Trek, super caliber or something of that nature that's like all mm-hmm. super light you know kind of like a mix between a hardtail and a full suspension i think that would be sick yeah um but like i don't i don't have that kind of coin and uh yeah it's not worth like butchering the only full suspension bike i have Dude, which i literally not... just got yesterday so you should you should tell specializer trek that you'll talk about their bike on the podcast if they send you one <laughs> Yeah, I totally would. I mean, I definitely would. You th- you think that would convince them to send you totally. a bike? <laughs> How many listeners yeah. do we have? Yeah. How many downloads? Dude, but, I mean, I think... So I don't know how many people are going to show up to Leadville on a drop bar bike this no, year. Not a lot. Not yeah, a lot. I, I would We're probably going to be like one of the only two. Yeah, in the pro field, I, I, would, I would guess there'll be less than five. And we'll be two of them. So, so Sophia put something up on her story and it was like... It showed Keegan sitting on the couch, and then it panned over to his bikes, and he's got his gravel bike, his hardtail, and his full suspension. And the caption read, uh, Keegan's taking his Leadville bike testing way too seriously, or something like that. And uh, I think the implication there is that he's testing all three bikes on the course, full suspension, hardtail, and gravel bike. Yeah. Which is cool to see. Uh, Gravel, so... So from this conversation, you may think like, okay, well, maybe a burly gravel bike is the option. Um, no, <laughs> no. Two reasons. doesn't have suspension. Tires are too narrow. Uh, if you had such a burly gravel bike that it was just a mountain bike with drop bars, then yes. But a normal gravel bike with no- even, even 50 millimeter tires and even a gravel fork, I don't think is enough. No, I, I completely agree with that. Yeah. Um, are you, you going to run that massive chain ring? No, no, 42 no, no, tooth no. chain ring? No. No. That's okay. that was for gravel racing. I'll uh I don't think I can do larger than a 36 and I actually even did 
my ride yesterday with a 34 and even that felt like a lot going up Columbine. I know that Keegan did it with 38 last year, but he might be the only one strong enough to get away with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like ran some calculations cause I ran a 34 by 50 last year, 1050. Um, mm-hmm. and if I run the 36, 1052, it's the same exact gearing. Mm-hmm. In and especially with the two point two tires, because last year I ran two fours, so like a little bit smaller tire, yeah, uh, like roll rollout. But I I think I'm gonna just stick with the thirty four ten fifty two and like mm-hmm. be able to spin up power line instead of like mashing up it, because I really don't think like an extra mile an hour of of like top end is gonna help me a whole lot. I think going up power line last year, I was probably doing 30 RPM. It was so slow. I didn't have to walk, but it was, yeah, I, I was also, I was also dead at that point. Um, and I do think that climbing super steep stuff on the drop bars is a little bit harder than on flat bars. I don't know if you've, if you've mm-hmm. seen that at all. Yeah. Like potentially. The front end wants to walk a little bit more. So like I've, I felt like a couple steep pitches, like I've lost the rear end a little bit, like traction wise. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing a ton of steep climbing at really high altitude here. It seems like every single ride I do, I'm just riding up some pass at a 25% grade and, uh, it's, you know, I'm at 12,000 feet and I can barely breathe. So <laughs> sounds about right. Uh, so what else has been going on? I don't know. I just wanted to talk about my drop bar mountain bike because I'm so <laughs> stoked about it. <laughs> Back to you, Adam. <laughs> dude, I'll, I'll take I'll take five minutes to talk about the Nepo Muck Gnarly because yeah, dude, I I would like to to give this race some some airtime. So for those those longtime loyal listeners, you might remember that last year me and Adam Roberge had a little showdown at this tiny race in North Dakota called the Nepo Muck Gnarly. Uh, they, like, recruited Adam to come in. I didn't even know anything about the race until, like, a week before, so I just, like, came up there, and they had a huge prize purse. So that's, like, that was, I mean, in all fairness, or, like, all honesty, like, that was my main motivation for going up there was to try and have a nab at the big prize purse. Well, David and Goliath last year, Adam, David, or Goliath conquered. I, I, I couldn't take down... The Giants, uh, as much as I tried. Uh, this year, it went worse. <laughs> um, so so this year they brought in uh, Eno. How do you say his last name? Do you know Zylov? Zy- no. no, I don't know how Eno- to pronounce it. Premium anyone, Russian. Yeah, anyone who, yeah, premium Russian on Instagram. <laughs> anyone who's, who's in or around like the elite bike race scene in the U.S. knows who Eno is. Mm-hmm. Super strong, super nice dude. Um, pretty tactical rider. Uh, so he came in, and that kind of threw me in for a loop because now there's like two lifetime riders that I've got to go up against, um, and they only pay out three. So I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, well, I got to figure out a way to like at least get third. Maybe I can like you know knock out one of these guys if something happens. I don't know. Uh, so anyways, like going into the race, I was like, hey, all right, if I settle for third, like worst case scenario, like it's it's still payday. Like that's fine. Uh, well, legs felt terrible from the beginning, and when the early selection went. Like Adam attacked like 15 miles in up uh, like a pretty steep climb. I almost wow, didn't make. I almost didn't make the fronts the first selection. It was like it was Adam, some other dude that I didn't know who I now know as Tyler. He's a listener, awesome dude. Uh, then Eno, no, actually, yeah, then Eno, then me. I barely latched on, and then one dude was like barely latched on behind me. His name was Dan, another listener, another good guy. Oh, two listeners. Yeah, I actually stayed with Dan and another listener, Claire. 
Uh, I know, I know, I know that I wasn't Enid... supposed to say her name last week, and I just said it again this week. But I stayed with both of them. I know that really cool. Eno listens to the podcast too, against his will, when um, when they're all driving to uh, oh. races. Oh, is that because Chase probably listens? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Well, Eno didn't say anything about listening, so maybe he doesn't like it. I don't know, but uh, but anyways, yeah. So so I almost didn't make the front selection. So now I'm like crab my pants i'm like okay well now what am i gonna like i thought i was gonna like just try and make the front group of three now i'm like barely making the front group of five so i got a little impatient started like attacking pretty much every, every climb after that <laughs> what <laughs> yeah okay well because i didn't know who these other two guys were so i didn't know I, I didn't know anything about them so i figured like if i could just make it hard enough to pop those two guys knowing that like eno and adam would go with me then no, like, I I would have just let Adam do everything. Honestly, he's probably the favorite by a long shot. Well, I know, and he told me that <laughs> afterwards. But I I wasn't trying to race for the win anymore. I was just trying to race for third. So okay. So I was just trying to make it as hard as possible, and um, so I was like attacking the climbs and the descents, hoping that like I'd pop you know one or two of the guys on either of them. Uh, I like we we dropped one of the guys up one of the climbs, but then Adam attacked one climb that like I wasn't expecting him to, and then he dropped me. And mm-hmm. the other guy Tyler went with him, and Eno didn't make it across, but he dropped me. So then I was in like solo fourth for a while. Rode with mm-hmm. Dan, Dan, who's a listener, um, super strong dude. He was like he it was crazy. So him and I were working together for probably twenty miles. Like so this is like thirty miles in that Adam attacked. For like twenty miles or twenty or thirty miles, we were working together, and he 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 had this like super dialed arrow position with arrow bars, and I had arrow bars on my bike too, but it wasn't dialed at all apparently. Because whenever I was on the front, I was doing like three hundred watts, and then whenever he was on the front, I was doing like three hundred watts on his wheel, like <laughs> yeah. just trying to hang on. I was like, dude, this is crazy. So I was like doing you know tempo for like two hours on Dan's mm-hmm. wheel basically. Mm-hmm. Um, ended up dropping him in like a technical section that I cleaned or and he didn't or something. I, I don't know exactly what happened. Um, and then rode the last like 45 miles solo. Wow. Never caught, never caught second and third. Eno and Tyler stayed, stayed together like two minutes ahead. Like I could see them like whenever there'd be like a long straight, but I just never was able to catch them. And then Adam like freaking annihilated us. He, he was like 15 minutes off the front. Yeah. Dude, Adam is so strong this year. It's crazy. Dude, yeah. But, so here's the catch though, like, cause I, I, I like, I didn't have, like my legs felt terrible, like from the start. Um, so like, and I wasn't looking at power at all or anything. Um, like I'd glanced down on it. Like I had, I had uh, real time power going, but I didn't, I wasn't looking at like NP or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and did, it wasn't looking at heart rate or anything, uh, which I usually don't. I just like, I don't like looking at that stuff. So, so like after the race, like I thought for sure, like I'd look back and my data would just be terrible. But like my my powered numbers were actually pretty decent. So I I did like two sixty seven average, two ninety five normalized for five hours. Wow, dude, that's yeah, that is impressive. Adam did the same exact power, like Robert. Yeah, yeah. When when I was talking to him after the race, he he was like, he's like, how how did you go so slow? That's that's like that's good watts, dude. I was like. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I mean, just, Adam had just, Adam had arrow bars too, so maybe his position was more dialed than mine was. But he's just messing with your head. He's also like ten pounds at least more than you, maybe more. I know that's what I'm pounds. saying. 
I don't I don't know. Like like when when he attacked, I I definitely didn't have the snap to go with him. But I don't know. Maybe my legs were good enough the rest of the time. I just didn't have the snap. I don't I don't know. But it was a bummer to like look back and see like the data was actually pretty decent, but still got smashed. Like that just left me like okay, I don't know what the hell I can do. Like. Yeah, I mean, this brings up something that I, I feel like is relevant to Grand Prix riders because every single year the these races get more competitive and it gets harder to get a top 10, it gets harder to get a whatever, a good, you know, a podium every single year. And I I do feel like sometimes riders are not being objective with how their race went. Um I just just like an example off the top of my head, if you read uh, Russell Finsterwald's post from Crusher, the first sentence said, you know, uh, mountain goat status uh, still in progress or something, which insinuates that the race didn't go well because he didn't have his mountain goat legs or whatever. Yeah. But then if you keep reading, you realize that he he got 11th last year and he got 11th this year, but he went 10 minutes faster and he did 35 more Watts average power. So he improved a lot, which should mean that it was a good race, but everybody else improved an insane amount as well. And um, it's just like, it's just a running theme. Like one of the guys that I coach that's in the Grand Prix, uh, his, his power output and his time, uh, at Crusher would have gotten him sixth place last year. And now, and now he's like, he got 23rd place. And I don't know. I just, I just think that a lot of times when people are judging how well a race went, they're only looking at the uh, results sheet and they're not, they're not being objective about whether that performance was good compared to past, uh, past performances from the, you know, themselves, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I mean I get it for sure, but like it's frustrating. It's fr- I mean it's frustrating, but it's also like <laughs> your performance doesn't matter, right? Like you're not getting mm-hmm. uh, other than like the the internal reward of like hey, giving yourself a pat on the back like hey, did good job. Like you go in there for the for the result, right? So yeah. like mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it it, it does kind of suck though. Like you have a good day, mm-hmm. you know, or you know, objectively on paper like you had, had a good ride. But if you don't get the result that you're still seeking, like it's, it is sometimes hard to, yeah, find that, mm-hmm. that validation, um, because that's what you're getting rewarded yeah. for, you know, like people aren't, I mean, they're, 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 yeah. they're cutting checks for other reasons, but like, you know, the results for sure outweigh, you know, how good you did. Well, like, no one, yeah, no one cares about what power output you did during the race. They care about totally. what, pla- what place you got. Yeah, totally. No, I, I know. I know what you're saying. Yeah. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. The uh the the level of bike racing in the US is rising every single year. Um and I don't know. I and and I think it shows I think there was a long period of time where, you know, if a European came over to the US, they'd probably they'd probably smoke us all like Europeans versus Americans. It wasn't even close and it probably still is not close if you're like looking at the world tour road level, but I, I mean when when Europeans come over to the u.s now to do this gravel stuff this lifetime grand prix stuff they don't dominate uh it's still keegan winning the races so yeah i mean the the level in the u.s is just it it just continues to go up especially in this this like gravel off-road scene yeah for sure sweet well so wait you were out of the prize money it was only top three 2024 okay we're gonna do we're gonna do uh 
24 hours in the old Pueblo, maybe. We're going to have Bonk Bros in Girona. We're going to have Bonk Bros mm-hmm. at Ragbri. And we're going to have Bonk Bros at Nipomuk. I am gotta go never going to do Ragbri, dude. <laughs> you already missed that. Tyler and I talked on Ragbri for like five minutes. We already, we already signed you up. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so yeah, I finished fourth. I don't know. I don't know, I don't know anything about Ragbri, but from what Drew is telling us, it just seems like you ride and then you stop and you eat food, and then you ride and you stop and you eat food. Which yeah, I'm not opposed. Could, to... Sounds like gravel riding, beat. dude. <laughs> you can beat his time, though. Look, yeah. I'm I'm not opposed to eating food or riding. I like doing both of those things. But I I'm I'm gonna be honest. I'm not really a fan of coffee shop rides, and I'm not really a fan of rides where you you ride a little bit and then you stop and you get like a snack for 15 minutes and then you keep riding like i'll do that after i'm done riding that's an option okay that's, what, that's keep, what we're talking yeah, about you don't have we, to we, you know, like we just do the 100 miles and then eat afterwards yeah boom <laughs> yeah yeah exactly okay all right well, if so, I also, if I do 24 hours of Old Pueblo, I'm for sure going to do it solo. I'm not going to do it with you guys. I knew you were going to say that. That's why I didn't, I, I shouldn't have even brought it up. We should have just signed you up on our team. Be like, well, all right, you're, you're here. <laughs> Dylan, we'll um, give you a, we'll give you a five lap handicap and we'll still beat you. <laughs> I don't know. What's the team? You well, and... So you're just going to be Drew and then Adam and I are going to ride like laps and it's just going to be drew hanging on your wheel yeah, for... we're, we're going to make drew do like sub 55 <laughs> laps and then tyler and i will do like 105s all right you know what's going to happen though is drew's just going to like stay on dylan's wheel and do the whole event for us and then we'll just like <laughs> ride a and couple of laps i'll sprint him at the line yeah exactly <laughs> yeah all right um how much money was it Dylan, for third, Dylan, third place? I, I will say I, I had an, an anonymous uh, shout-out from someone who used to race against you back in the NUE days mm. and said that uh, your poor sprinting performance is not a new phenomenon. <laughs> who, well, who is this? <laughs> nope, that's it. Moving on. Wait, were they at <laughs> ne- were they, were they at Nepo Muck Gnarly? Is that, did I say it right? Yeah, it was definitely Adam. Robert said that. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, Roberge didn't race me in the NUE days, though. <laughs> yeah, we'll leave it at that. All right, so let's move on to wow. listener questions. All right, all right, that's fine. I just really want Dylan to work on his sprints at 10,000 feet. <laughs> yeah, if if Leadville comes down to a sprint, then I think I'll, I think I'll have the advantage, dude, because I got drop bars. It's so much more aerodynamic. Until yeah. you sprint on the tops. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I I don't even want to imagine how painful it would be to sprint at the end of Leadville. <laughs> Gives me nightmares. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, okay, so first one I want to give a shout out to a new Patreon supporter, Charlotte. Uh, Charlotte sent us some messages. She is a pro racer and nutritionist. So uh, she said she's going to be at Point to Point, Steamboat, BWR, Utah wasatch something else i don't know um but she said to say what up before at any of those races which i don't know if we will be maybe drew will be at bwr nice. but uh anyways yeah i told charlotte we got to get her on the matchbox that'd be kind of sick yeah nutritionist for sure she's uh, at okay. bwr mexico is that what she said that's the only one drew's going to right dude yeah drew's like fixated on this bwr mexico thing 
yeah. He's trying to. He's really trying to get me to go to Mexico in November. I was just like, no. Just, yeah, I just don't quite understand. understand like, why, did they, why did they choose to do it so late? Probably because it's really hot there, you know? But um, I don't know why they well, need they to do it. They should have saved it and done it in, like, next February. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not... I, I'm going to have not ridden my bike for two weeks at that point. So, Yeah. Okay, so this one is from Marcio. Oh, and he even has in the title, AMA 2024 Unbound Going North. <laughs> I ask Just for you, Dan. Ask me anything. <laughs> yeah. uh, a- it says, quote, AMA definitely stands for ask me anything. It does. We, I was like I know, yelling. We covered this last week. <laughs> like yelling at my headphones listening to the Matchbox podcast. <laughs> it's ask me anything. <laughs> uh okay question for dylan knowing that we have a 90 percent chance that in 2024 unbound will go north how much tougher do how much tougher on the tires is the north compared to the south route should i change my approach and prioritize even more puncture resistance than speed yes wow, this guy's planning far ahead i mean that's what you need to do man yeah, I mean the north. The north is slower gravel. It's chunkier gravel. It's it's more. It, you, more flat tires are going to happen. Um, yeah, I so I've done unbound four times at this point, and three of those times went south, and one of those times went north. And the you would think that the the years that were like a survival fest were the years that it rained or something. Um, I mean, I guess you could consider this mud mud year that we just had sort of survival, but it was it only lasted five miles, and then the rest of the race was dry. Uh, and then the and then the year before that that it rained. Honestly, that was the fastest conditions Unbound has ever had, which is surprising. Um, but man, the year that it went north, um, it was like it was an absolute slog. It was so hot. So many people had flat tires. I thought my race was going horribly because I had flat tires and I was, I felt horrible in the heat. And then, uh, I think I got 12th place or something when I crossed the finish line. Crazy. It was, it was, it's like one of those races where if you just stay on your bike and keep going and you can get to the finish line in, in a, a, a decent amount of time, you're going to be surprised when you look at the results sheet, how well you did. Um, so yeah, the north the north route can be brutal, um, and I think it's it's sl- it's slower than the south route, and there's going to be more flat tires. And I would absolutely prior- prioritize puncture protection over speed for the north route. I mean, I would do that for the south route too, but especially for the north route. Cool. Yeah, we almost answered this question before you got on, and then I read it and realized that I would have no input whatsoever. So I should have just answered. I it. second we everything just you just said. <laughs> should have made something up, man. Yeah, 100%. you should have been like, actually, the north route is is uh, mostly pavement. I think it's like sixty percent paved, pretty fast. Yeah, it's gonna be a tailwind like, both ways. I probably would have said like just do a different race or something. <laughs> uh, okay, so this one. Wow, lots and lots of questions in this one. Well, they're mostly like they're mostly training related questions. Should we save that for like the matchbox? Sometimes I sometimes we get training questions and I just forward them to the matchbox and tell tell them to check the matchbox. Yeah, check out like, the matchbox podcast. Okay. Uh next. Yeah, so I, 
Oh, this one. Okay, it was it was Richard. So Richard, if you're listening, I'll email you too. But if you're listening, check out the Matchbox because we're gonna put your questions over there. Dude, Richard is my uncle. I didn't know my uncle listens. Oh, dude, should we answer it then? No, that's okay. Okay. Oh, dude, another question from from Marcio. Man, he sent two questions back to back days. Wow, man, dude, has he not learned from Daniel that you only send one question per month? <laughs> yeah. Uh, he says, "Question: Do you prefer to win races, aka perform better, or to drink alcohol?" I guess most of the pro athletes know that drinking alcohol before a race does not help performance. But do you know that after you drink alcohol, your body blocks the mechanism of burning fat for 48 to 72 hours? Mm. If that's the case, even when training, if you drink alcohol during the week, you are not training your ability to burn fat. And burning fat on long endurance rides is absolutely critical. And Marcio's just spitting science at us. Wow. I wish Scott And he was... says, here's the science, and he sent a YouTube video. I, I have a, like, I have a... Uh, Drew's YouTube video. His YouTube channel. <laughs> this guy I have a white coat. <laughs> I have a whole video about how alcohol affects cycling performance. Um, yeah, what I wish about Scott... IPAs, though? Do IPAs affect your cycling performance, or is it no, just I mean, like... But, yeah, yeah, in a good way. In, enhance performance. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, what, that's what all the gravel pros would tell you. Yeah. Um... So the original question was, do you prefer to win or drink alcohol? Uh, in all seriousness, it's not even a competition. I don't even like drinking even if I'm not winning bike races. <laughs> just sad all Which the is... time. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, Scott seems to be doing just fine. Um, but, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not a drinker. Uh, and even if I would, I don't even think I would be if I wasn't bike racing. So, yeah. So I don't know. I, I think, and I don't know, I'm not, I haven't read this or watched this YouTube video, but I, mm -hmm. I feel like there's a difference between like the mechanism of fat burning in like a sedentary state and then the mechanism of, of like fat metabolism while you're riding. Cause I think yeah. what he's trying to get at is that like for two, two to three days after you drink, like you're not able to utilize fat as a source of energy, but I, I don't think no. that's, that, that's, that's not, I don't, true. I don't think that can possibly be true. I mean, there's people who are literally, they're, they're never they used to do the tour and they would drink like yeah, the no. whole time. It's definitely not true. Um, but th there are, there are very real reasons why alcohol is not good for cycling performance. I think most of the reasons have to do with your recovery and your sleep quality. I mean, if, since people have started started wearing like wearable sleep monitoring things, the first thing that everybody notices is that if they have some alcohol, their sleep quality is terrible. Um, and while you may think that you sleep good when you've had a couple drinks, uh, the reality is that the quality of your sleep is not great. And that, of yeah. course, is affecting your recovery. Yeah. Tyler, you, you were a uh, athletic brewing athlete for a while. Are you still? uh kind of not really anymore not so athletic, like... <laughs> athletic brewing doesn't have alcohol no well it's very i mean it's very low it's non-alcoholic beer um it's like 0.5 mm. percent maybe so it's or less it's yeah or less um i i mean yeah once i once i kind of found athletic i had a lot of that especially during the the cross season there was one season that i just went like totally dry like wouldn't have 
any beers, maybe like one or two on like a Monday, like after a race or like Sunday night after a race, um, which wasn't, which wasn't bad. I was like, you know, just focused on my performance at that point, but there's something to, to being at races and having a, like a social, a social drink. And yeah, I mean, athletic at least provided something that I could like, and bubbly waters are the same thing, right? Like just something carbonated to drink after the race. Um, so it feels like you're drinking, but you're not necessarily <laughs> having the effects of effects of alcohol. So it's good. It's good to have around like just, I don't know if I had a rough Monday at work and I want to crack a beer, then at least I'm not like, you know, drinking. <laughs> I, I, I like how you're, I, I like how the snack. day of the week that you set aside for <laughs> drinking is Monday. Yeah, I mean, I perform on Saturday, Sunday. <laughs> so. Like if most, performance. if most people yeah. set aside a day of the week that they can drink, it's probably like Friday or Saturday, right? <laughs> but you're like, no, Mon- Monday is the day that's that I drink. Tyler, that's because Tyler cares about winning bike races and drinking alcohol. Mm. Exactly. He's so, found the winning to... solution. So l- let me ask you, this this season that you didn't drink a lot, do you think that you performed better, the same, or worse than normal? Uh, I don't know, dude. I was like 28, 29 at that point. So it's hard to – so I, I've thought about this a lot, right, of like – because you always, you know, every year looking back at training, you know, you make some changes and you're like, oh, I don't know if that was if that was performance enhancing or if I mm-hmm. should go back to that. And it's hard for me to disentangle the like, OK, I was a year or two years younger uh, mm-hmm. at that point in time compared to like, was it that not drinking? Was it this? I mean, I think for sure, like, you know, the the sleep aspect improves, right? Like it doesn't get worse, but I don't know that it made me ride any faster or whatever i just wasn't you know maybe going out socially i'd have like Mm -hmm. one beer or something like that instead of uh multiple beers or something like that hanging out with uh hanging out with folks so it was probably the volume but i don't not that i was drinking excessively anyways but for sure like just being more mindful of it was uh probably some some type of performance benefit Hmm. and it just i don't know for me it for me personally it comes out like there's a place and a time for it like Again, I'm not advocating for people to like drink excessively or to drink if they don't, if they're not interested in it. But, you know, for some people, there is a social aspect to drinking alcohol or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. And so around food and, and beverages, there's a lot of, you know, social context that, that comes in there. And like, I, I kind of have come to the approach that like, if you're going to, what's going to make you happiest? Is it going to be like, you know, having a beer? once a week or once two times a month, you know, and that will help you be a happier racer. Or is it going to be, you know, doing something else like having a donut, Mm -hmm. going for a coffee shop ride, whatever. So I think that's going to have a bigger performance gain. But of course, like if you're looking for those quarters of a percent, like, yeah, cut or even one, 2%, like, yeah, cut the alcohol out. So, yeah, I mean, in, in most, like most higher level athletes in general, I mean, I don't know, I guess I can't speak for like some sports, but at least like endurance athletes, like they're not going out two, three nights a week and getting like blackout wasted. You know I mean? You're talking about like having a handful of drinks a week, you know? So like there's going to have, there's, there's going to be some effect there, but it's not like it's, you're not going to have this like night and day difference. Like you're still, like you're talking about here, like you're still talking about like pretty small increments in performance. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I can say, though, um, from experience that when you do go out drinking with elite endurance athletes, they are also generally elite 
uh, drinking, or at least the couple that I hung out with. So, <laughs> yeah, it it, it actually it specific. I I will say that it actually is surprising the number of uh, pretty high performing athletes that drink a lot of alcohol. <laughs> um, genetically gifted. <laughs> I was I was that dork in college who was like the only one at a party not drinking. That was that was me. <laughs> Just over in the corner talking about rolling resistance to someone that didn't want to do <laughs> Like you know that you know that you know that meme where they're they're at, it's like yes. this crudely drawn thing where they're dancing with girls at a party and then there's one guy to, in the corner and the guy's like, if only they knew insert funny thing there. That's that could be a meme about me. They on, if only they knew that my tires had five watts less rolling resistance. <laughs> And you met Nina during this stage of life? Uh, I actually, I mean, we, no, I think I, I met her at first at a bike race, but she, she goes to the college that I used to go to. And, uh, I mean, we hit it off at a college party, funny enough. So <laughs> I'm, Just... I'm second guessing her, her judgment and character right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, talking to her about drop drop bar hardtails and <laughs> went from there exactly <laughs> exactly i was i so i was talking about this uh with with someone the other day he's still in college and he's trying to be a fast bike racer he doesn't really like drinking and i was like man and and he's talking about the social pressure to drink in college and i was like man you just gotta be you like you can't be a little bitch when people ask like offer you beer you have to just be like no fuck off i don't want to drink that <laughs> and if you're if you're really stern about it they'll just be like oh damn okay and and maybe at first they'll think you're weird but it, it like i think people thought i was weird as a freshman and then after that they were like oh yeah dylan just doesn't drink <laughs> <laughs> they're like that dude's definitely weird after that. <laughs> like that dude's trying to win sprint finishes and WWE races watch out <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, the sprinters are all like shotgunning beers. Over there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's options out there, right? Like I've seen Scott, mm -hmm. you know, trying to seek that that Bush NA sponsorship. So I mean, yeah, dude, yeah the, you know, you know what I'm on right options. now, dude? I want to get that Corona NA sponsorship, dude. I picked up a <laughs> sixer of those this week. Those they're they're good, man. Corona's it's like the perfect water. summertime beer. <laughs> I know, but it's like you know. Extra water, watery. yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, let's let's uh, let's move on. Uh, so we got a question here from Ricky. He says, "I love the show, and I know Dylan loves his 47 mil Pathfinder Pro tires. <laughs> what is the optimum inner rim width for running 47s? What is oh. the minimum inner width you would recommend for 47s? Thanks, wow. Ricky." Dude, I actually have some takes on this, but I'll let you go first since he called you out. Go for it, man. You probably you sound like you have more takes than I do. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I've run the forty-seven mil Pathfinders on three different rims now. Uh huh. One has an inner rim width of twenty, okay. which is like which is on the narrow end of like today's rims. Yeah, I'm shocked that you even have a rim with that narrow uh, inner rim width. It's like my yeah, my training wheels are like yeah, twenty mil, maybe okay. maybe twenty and a half or something like that. But yeah, call twenty. Twenty mil internal. Uh, then I've got a set of like what I call like my race gravel rims, which are 23 internal. Mm -hmm. um, and then I've got, and then for migration, since I was bringing the mountain bike, my spare wheel set on the mountain bike are 30 mil internal. 
So I, I've I've put the forty seven mil Pathfinders in all three of those different rims. Okay. And dude, they were actually really sick on the thirty mil internal rims. Like they aired up and they they weren't boxy at all. Like they 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 were like really good. They probably aired up to closer to fifty mil, like mm-hmm. maybe like forty nine. Uh, mm-hmm. on, on the 23 mil internal, they were exactly 47. And then on the 20 mil internal, they're like 46. So a little bit narrower. Um, they're actually pretty good on all of them. Honestly, like I would say 20 is probably the minimum that you want to run for these just because once you get narrower than that, if you can even find rims that are narrower than that, uh, they do start to get like a little bulbish, like, you know, light bulb looking. Um, but they, they, they're like, they're fine. Like I, I think they're totally fine on those 20 mil internals, but they were freaking baller on the 30 mil internal rims, especially mm. on the drop bar hardtail. I almost ran those tires because they were so good, uh, but then I ended up wow, running that is a, that is a way nerdier answer than I was going to give. I was going to give like a Scott answer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's just an anecdotal, you know, experience here. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I have only run 47 Pathfinders on 25 millimeter internal rim width, and that's it. And they seem great. And that's that's all the input I have. Yeah. So, and I will say the the advantage of the 20 mil internal rims is that I can run those 47 mil tires on my gravel bike because otherwise, with with the with until I put a new fork on, which I recently did, I couldn't fit the 47 uh, on the 23 mil internals. They were too big in the fork, like in the front. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a new fork for for that bike, so now it, it fits fine. But before that. I needed the narrower rim width in order to clear it. And it cleared mm. by like a mil. Nice. Yeah. Tyler, you got any 47 mil Pathfinder input? I don't. I'm on uh, 40s. So 40s? That, I they don't even make 40s. I tell you all about the 40s. Dude, I'm, I'm here for speed, okay? Not about this like what cushy tire, lifestyle what tire? Are you guys talking about. <laughs> no, he's saying the tire is 40 millimeters. Dude, Adam is so far <laughs> on the other end of the spectrum that he thought you were talking about 40 millimeter rim width. Whoa, dude. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm saying they don't make a 40 millimeter Pathfinder. No, they don't. I'm I'm rocking the the Pirelli Cinturado hards right now. What are you doing? The Specialized Pathfinder is also not the only gravel tire that exists. (laughs) Just blew a bunch of people's minds. The punk bros bubble it is. Dude, that Uh, was so funny when 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 Dillman sent us that picture of the his like whole table full of challenge tires. Yeah, and I just responded and I was like, which one's the Pathfinders? Dude, I don't even know why he asked for the Strada Bianchi. I mean, maybe if it's like a kind of rough road race, you could get away with those, but man. He's still racing crits, man. <sighs> yeah, I guess. I told I told him I think that he should run a lot wider tire for crits because cornering traction is so important. So yeah. maybe he's actually going to listen to my advice. Tyler, what were you going to say? Uh, just, you know, can't. Yeah, whatever. Tires. They're just as fast. Yeah, tires. <laughs> uh, okay, moving on. This one here is from Adam. 160 watt FTP gain in two months. Wow. Uh, so greetings to the Bonk Brethren. I'm new to the cycling game this year, and after building a bit of base this spring and riding Le Grand du Nord, 54-mile course, I'm looking to up my power. So I purchased Dylan's Raise Your FTP on 10 Hours training plan on Training Peaks. <laughs> As a 34-year-old man with a measly FTP of 238 watts, how much can I expect to raise my FTP over the next eight weeks? 
And if I don't hit my goal of 402 watts, do I get a refund? Uh, also, may your tires ever grow wider, Adam. Oh, his name's Adam, Dude, too. I think, oh, I if he, I if he hits that 402 watts, I'm going to buy one of those programs. So <laughs> make it happen. So um, he, so he, didn't, he didn't raise his FTP by 160 watts in two months. He's saying that's his goal. Yeah. I guess so, yeah. Although right. 160 watts on top of 238 is... Uh, 398 so i don't know where the f- extra four watts are coming from <laughs> um yeah what do you think dylan can you do it uh i believe in him are you gonna give him a <laughs> refund if he doesn't no <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean he's 34 years old so like you know he's still Ancient. in prime prime age i think to like see Thanks. some pretty decent fitness gains uh oh i think i said eight months it says eight weeks yeah two months um i don't know Honestly, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even retest your FTP in eight weeks. It's like not. Yeah, even just assume. Time. Just honestly, just assume that it's four hundred two. Like if you've done <laughs> yeah. the if you've yeah. done the FTP builder plan, you don't need to retest. You just assume it's four hundred two and go with that. People just ask do- you on the group ride, you know, what's your FTP? You're like, well, I did Dylan's FTP builder plan, and uh, he said it's four hundred two, so it's four hundred two. Yeah. Set it like that in Garmin and do all your intervals from now on at that FTP. Exactly. Just ride easy endurance at an FTP of 402 and you'll be fine. <laughs> uh, okay, should we keep going? Tyler, what's, yeah, what's, your, what's your hard stop at? Uh, I got like seven minutes. Seven minutes, all right. We'll knock this one out. This one's from Brian. Uh, he says, hi there. I've been catching up on episodes since I found the podcast a couple weeks ago and I really enjoy it. My question for y'all is calories. Should I even care? I remember when I used to hear, try to get three, 300 to 350 calories in an hour, or the pros take in X amount of calories during a race. Also, my Garmin tells me how many calories I've burned and asks me how many question, calories I took in during the ride. But it seems like these days, carbs are the main focus, or at least they have been for a while. You need 90 to 100 grams an hour, or whatever the latest research suggests. Should I totally ignore calories and only focus on carbohydrates? With one gram of carb being four calories, just get in your carbs and the calories will take care of itself. Thanks, Brian. Mm. Amateur take here. Yeah. Just worry about how many grams of carbs you can take in per hour and so roll that. I'm so focused on grams of carbs while I'm riding that as soon as he said calories, I just assumed that he meant in his everyday diet, not while he was riding. And then when he started talking (laughs) about calories while riding, I'm less like, does anybody still track calories while riding? This guy is from like 10 years ago. Yeah. I mean, I think he kind of said it in his last sentence there. Like if you, if you just, if you just worry about taking in the, the carbs, like you're going to hit your calorie mark. Uh, you know I mean? It's yeah. One to four, one carb per four calories. Like that means I would, 90 so, grams of carbs, you're hitting 360 calories. Like, so you can same. do 90 to a hundred grams of carbs, but you have, you can't just eat um, like, I don't know, like if you were eat, to eat granola bars and you're trying to eat 90 to hundred grams of carbs <laughs> per hour from granola bars. Cause I feel like when he brought up calories, I was like, what is this guy eating? Right. So <laughs> granola bars have fat and protein as well. And you're going to consume, I don't even think you'd be able to eat 90 to hundred grams of carbs per hour. If it was from something other than uh, something that was specifically formulated to to have that sort of intake. 
And when I say that, I'm talking about something like a uh, a gel or a drink mix that has a mixture of maltodextrin and fructose so that your gut can absorb that level of carbohydrate per hour. Don't try to take in 90 to 100 grams of carbs per hour of freaking... I don't know, Nature like Valley, Nature Valley bars. Yeah, like like <laughs> leftovers from you know the dinner you had last night is like rice and beans or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think. I mean, I think this is just like I used to. I used to worry about calories, and but the science has progressed, right? To now, it's like okay, how many grams of carbs can you take in? And mm-hmm. I, I would also say that, like, while the upper echelon of of athlete, especially endurance athlete, mm-hmm. is taking in. 100 to 120 if not more than that at this point like i think you gotta dial that back you can't just look at what the pros are doing and then just be like okay i gotta eat 90 to 100 like yeah you know i i'm saying i'm saying even you know if you hear that pros are taking in 90 to 100 grams of carbs per hour and then you're like well you know that that fancy gels and those fancy drink mixes they're expensive so i'm just gonna get skittles you know, I mean, that that's also pure sugar, but it's not it's not maltodextrin <laughs> and fructose. So it, it, it has to be if if you just take if you were to just pound straight, um, like straight maltodextrin, you wouldn't be able to absorb 90 to 100 grams of carbohydrates per hour. It really does need to be correctly formulated for you to even be able to absorb that much. I mean, maybe yeah. you would be able to physically put that much stuff in your face. But you're probably going to have stomach issues, and you're probably going to have absorption issues. Yeah, and and you can get all these ingredients and like make your own. Like I used to, I used to do that. I used to make my own drink mixes until I started using flow formulas, and it's like way easier because I don't have to like measure all that shit out and like worry about what my osmolality is and my drink mix and all that stuff. So like you can like you can just you can order like a huge vat of maltodextrin, a huge bag of you know, fructose, you can, you know, get Himalayan sea salt and, you know, whatever, you know, BCAs you want to put in there, all that stuff. Like you can, you can make your own stuff, but now there's just so many products and like, they're not that expensive that like, it's, it's just so much easier to get the stuff that you know is going to be the same every time and it's predictable and it's easy. Some of our listeners are definitely going to be up in arms when you said it's not that expensive. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, relative to buying your own, like it's probably, I mean, it is like twice the cost probably, mm-hmm. but it's also like how much time do you have? Like it used to take me, you know, freaking 30 minutes to prepare so, my bottles each day. Now it takes the, me five minutes. On this topic, I will say that I have, I have kind of, I, I used to be the guy that if it was an endurance ride, I would just kind of eat like a bar an hour. And I was like, it's not that big a deal because it's just an endurance ride. Um, I'm not, I'm not burning that many calories. I'm going at a relatively low intensity. It's not that big a deal. I am now the guy that pretty much every single ride that I do, whether it's an endurance ride or an intensity ride, if it's over two hours long, uh, which is most rides that I do, I'm taking in 90 to 100 grams of carbohydrates per hour, even for yeah, yeah. zone two. Agreed. The way that I always just say that to, to like the clients that I work with is like, if you're not eating on your, on your bike, you're going to be in a deeper hole when you stop riding. Right. And you mm-hmm. think about just the baseline intake that you have to have to survive, let alone like adding in exercise into that. And then, you know, 
so once you start adding exercise, you have to eat more to sustain that. And it's really just about your recovery off the bike. That's what's going to allow you to go to the next day, fully trained and or fully ready to train, et cetera. And so like part of, part of your training is eating on the bike. And again, yeah, same if it's like a ride that's longer than two hours, like you should for sure be training your gut, but then also like think about eating and that's going to lead to your recovery, which then just has ripple effects kind of throughout the training cycle. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. Like it, when I feel a five or six hour endurance ride properly, meaning, you know, trying to hit 90 grams of carbs an hour, I can literally like finish and like go hang out with my kid and like do yard work and like two hours later realize I didn't even eat anything after my ride. Cause I wasn't hungry. Mm-hmm. Like I, like you feel so, so good at the end yeah. of your ride that you're just like, you don't, you don't get home and eat the entire fridge because you're like starving, which like is what used to happen. <laughs> Dude, when I was training for unbound this year, I would do like an eight hour bike ride and then I would get back and I was so full from eating straight maltodextrin and fructose, <laughs> just main lighting maltodextrin and fructose <laughs> into my mouth for eight hours that I didn't want to eat anything. Yeah. Like I, I remember I got back at like six at night and then I had like a couple bites of the dinner that my girlfriend made me. And then that was it. I went to bed after riding eight <laughs> hours. <laughs> yeah. Well, some of us have real life. They got to get back to afterwards too. <laughs> uh, okay. Right, Tyler, we, we can let you go, man. Hit right. him well. Thanks. See ya. See ya. Adam, do you got to go too? Or are we going to answer more questions? Uh, I've got like 10 more minutes, 10 or 15 more minutes. <laughs> Um, All right. Should we knock out another one? Yeah. So I'll knock this one out real quick because this is from Rob and he has a question for me. So he says, hey, Bonk Bros, this is a question for Adam Saban 6 which I'm guessing he follows me on Instagram. What up, Rob? Uh, How do you find time to train 20 hours per week and maintain a full-time job, I'm assuming, a marriage and a young child? How are you able Mm. to do six-hour rides? Asking for a friend who is busy dad slash husband. Thanks, Rob. Uh, Dude, and on top of all of that, have two podcasts that you have to edit and yeah. also be a part of. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was a good assumption, Rob. I mean, clearly not in the lifetime grand prix, so definitely not, you know, fully sponsored. Um, I would say like, it's, it's really only so a couple things like one, you have to be super dedicated. Like you have to, you have to make sacrifices in other parts of your life. Like you're not going to be able to socialize five nights a week. You're not going to, you're not going to like have the luxury of like having much downtime in general. Like mm. sometimes my wife and I will like watch a 30 minute TV show before bed, but like, that's like my free time throughout the day. Like the rest of the time I'm either working, training or like doing family stuff. Like I really don't get like any downtime for like just chilling. Um, so like, that's one thing Like you have to be dedicated. You have to like, you know, be motivated, kind of like know what you're working towards. If I wasn't like racing, like, which I don't like next year, I've been talking, like, I don't even know if I'm going to race next year. I'm sure as hell not going to train 20 hours a week next year. Like if I'm not, if I don't mm-hmm. have something that I'm working towards and like, you know, training for, like, it's, it's just not worth it. Like there's, it's, it's not easy to do. Um, but also like I have a job or job, multiple jobs that are super conducive, conducive to training. So I work as a part-time design engineer for a medical device company, and that's like 100% remote work, and then I'm a part-time coach. So like those two combined are my full-time job, and it's all like 100% remote work. So I can travel with my work. I can work from the road. I can work from home. I can, for the most part, kind of flex my schedule around and like make sure that I at least have 
some sort of training block planned out throughout the day. And that's what I do. Like I take my kid to school in the morning. I usually either like go back home and immediately start training or immediately start working. And then somewhere in the day, I fit like a three hour training ride in. Uh, Wednesdays, I don't plan any meetings. So I train like five or six hours on Wednesdays. And then I try to like take a weekend day off, honestly, because I can. So that way I can have like a full day of just family time on like Sundays usually. But yes, it's like not, it's not easy. So you just have to like figure out a way to fit it in, but it doesn't work with a, with like a nine to five brick and mortar job at all. Like there's, there's just no way that you could, you could Mm. do that without, without completely sacrificing, you know, the family, you know, the work, something else. Um, The work remote is, is what's the key. So if you weren't racing, how, how many hours a week do you think you would ride a bike just to like maintain your fitness and for, Mm. for fun and your own mental sanity? Maybe five or six. Mm. Okay. Maybe, maybe like some weeks, 10, if I'm like, you know, going out with some homies and want to do like a four or five hour, like long ride. Like I, I -hmm. I wouldn't mind like being able to maintain enough endurance to like, if my friends want to go out and smash a hundred miles, like I can do that and not, you know, completely implode. Mm -hmm. Um, But that'd be like, maybe like once or twice a month or something like that. You go do that. But I certainly wouldn't like, you know, block out any part of my schedule during the week to like go ride a hundred miles. It'd be like sure an hour lunch break or something like that. And honestly, like I, I really don't like the long, easy rides anyways. Like my favorite rides are anything that has to do with like structured intensity. So you don't like long, easy rides. No, I like don't at all. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. So like, that's probably what I would, even though it like kind of goes, it definitely goes against like the, like the current research of like how you should train. I'd probably do intervals like three days a week just cause like, that's what I enjoy to do. Hmm. All right. Yeah. I, in, uh, in, this is coming from somebody who doesn't have a real job or kids or, you know, any life outside of cycling when I'm in my off season and I don't even really have to train, I usually end up riding like 10 to 13 hours a week. Um, when I could be doing other stuff. So, yeah, I mean, here's one thing that I would say is like, I really love where we live and like, we have an awesome community here and like the riding is good, but it's not the same as like being able to just go out and like explore the mountains or something like that. Like when you live in Mm -hmm. Colorado or Brevard, like you just go out for like a super fun ride. And like, before you know it, you're like three hours in and you're like, damn, that was sick. Like here, like you get three hours into like riding flat, straight gravel. And you're like, uh, that was kind of boring. Like, dude, are you saying that flat, straight gravel isn't fun to ride? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> without it, without intention, like it's great for training. Like it, it's uh-huh. honestly awesome for training. Cause you like, you have nonstop resistance. You never have to worry about descending a mountain mm-hmm. and coasting for 10 minutes or whatever. Like it's nonstop pedaling. So it's, it's, it's good for training, but yeah, yeah. like I, you don't like, I don't have a, like this inkling to like go out and explore for three hours. Yeah, dude, my buddy, my buddy called me the other day and he was like, why is every single one of your rides on Strava? Why are, why is the intensity so low? Like your power is so low. And he's talking about all these rides I've been doing in Colorado. First reason is that I'm at 10,000 feet. Second reason is that you're climbing half the time and then half the time you're descending and putting out zero Watts. Yeah. It's like every ride I've been doing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, especially if you're riding off road, like trail riding, like you're you're not you're never gonna pedal downhill. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So let's see what else we got. Oh, this one's interesting. This one comes from Byron. He says, "Hey guys, great stuff as usual. 
This question is for Daniel. All fitness mm. aside, the mud at Unbound clearly had a big played a big role in results. Daniel, if you had access to the bikes the Unbound riders had, would you be able to find the most winning bikes of Unbound? GCN and similar channels like to talk about the most winning road bikes, but it really isn't that relevant. However, the mud at Unbound clearly split the field, and the bike frame clearance had to play a role in this. Uh, best Byron, I, I mean, I don't know if Byron thinks Daniel's like actually like like Daniel's not on the podcast right now, so like he's not going to be able to answer this like <laughs> real time. So like we're we're reading it on right. air. Daniel's probably going to go back you know, into the dark interwebs and figure out which bike frames were underneath which riders. And maybe we'll get an answer for next week. But we can say, like, I mean, I don't know. So if you were trying to, if you were trying to, if you were a betting person and you were betting on Unbound and you knew beforehand what the conditions of the course were going to be like, I think that the, the higher the mud clearance meaning the distance between the tire that the person was running and the frame. So that's a combination of two things. How much tire clearance does the frame have? And then how narrow are the tires that the person is running? I think that if you looked at that factor alone and went with the more tire clearance, the more likely this person is to do better in this race, you'd probably see a pretty pretty good correlation there. And and you you could use that to bet on. Right. Yeah, I agree. And and here's a here's a hot take. I think that if if this were the year 2022, Keegan would not have won. Oof. Because Keegan Keegan was on a the, like you know it's been leaked now. There's there's all kinds of like mm-hmm. articles out there, like you know pictures and stuff that have been released. But he he was on like a prototype new uh, Santa Cruz gravel bike this year mm-hmm. that had increased tire clearance. I think it's they said maybe up to like. 48 or 50 mil whereas mm-hmm. the old one only had like 44 or 45 clearance so like he had he had quite a bit of extra clearance this year yeah and yeah i think that i think that played a role honestly like i think i, I, th- I think yeah. that it did play a role i don't know if the old st- the old stigmata having 45 mil clearance is still pretty good i i think that there are there are some gravel bikes on the market that set, have such horrendous clearance that if keegan was on one of those even with how strong he is, he would not have won the race, which is crazy to say because you know you don't want to think that the bike has that big of an impact on the on the result of the race. I, if he had not made the front group, he arguably would not wouldn't have even been in the top ten, right? Right. So it, it, we're 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 literally talking about there's there's certain bikes on the market that have such horrendous mud clearance that Keegan could have potentially gone from winning the race to outside the top 10 with with you know just a simple simple bike swap yeah for instance like if 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 he was on his sister company's bike the cervello espero hold on buddy the the cervello espero only has clearance for like 42 millimeters hold on i gotta adam's adam's getting attacked by his kid right now which probably is a a sign that we need to uh end the podcast here yeah, sorry, Theo, Theo <laughs> broke into the recording studio. But yeah, like the Cervelo Asparo's only got clearance for like 44. Like there, there's no way that he, he'd have enough clearance to make it through that that mud section. Mm-hmm. So I do think it played a role this year. It doesn't mean it's going to play a role every year or every single race, but a race yeah. where you need big tires and big clearance, like 
yeah, there's only, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, not a, most modern frames, I think, are getting there. You know, we're, we're seeing a lot more 47 to 50 mil clearance, but uh, not every frame's there yet. Yep. Agreed. All right. Well, you look like you got your hands full, so we can cut, we can cut the podcast there if you want. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting hit in the face with the pool noodle. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we can shut it down here. We, we've still got a handful in the queue, but we knocked out a bunch this week, so this was awesome. Cool. All right. Sweet, man. I'll catch you later. All right. Sounds good, man. We'll see you. Yep, bye.